Forged in hatred, raised in hope. Shadow Masters! By Carl Potts, Dan Lawless, Russ Heath, Todd Smith, Steve Olaf. The story of two men, two families, two cultures, and one country, Japan. A four-part bookshelf format series on sale in June from Marvel. The Shadow Masters will appear in Punisher 2425, as well as Punisher War Journal number 9. Listeners to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. Son of a random banter, I am sick of these dolphins. Random banter time, buddy. How you been? Talk to me. Talk to our friends out there in Not Radio Land and tell us what's new with you. Before I get to that, I'm going to say I have no clue what that's from, but it's pretty darn funny. <laughs> it's pretty on point. <laughs> that was the re- that's the point. I will give you a hint. It's a movie. Sure. By Wes Anderson. Oh, it's got to be The Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu. Yes. Yes, it is. Now, why would I pick this as an intro to a random banter? Because I believe in our script we have a joke about Steve Zazu. Uh, there's that. Yeah. We also have dolphins. Yes, we, we also do. have dolphins and people getting sick. We also have Bill Murray in this. No, no, we don't. We don't have Bill Murray in this. Oh, that's oh, right. I always forget that. Yeah, he <laughs> he was uh, he was confirmed to guest, and then he had to back and out at the Bill last Murray minute. Did, yeah, and he, he Bill Murray did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then uh, he basically he he actually came over to my house and uh, ate my dinner, and then said. <laughs> No one will ever believe you and left. And I'm like, hey. These are all facts, except for Bill Murray coming over to your house for dinner. <laughs> yeah, and me having dinner because I haven't had that yet. Excellent. This will be a fun night for you then. No, I've been doing pretty well. I have been spending quite a bit of time with my new little show, The Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, which is now a bit of an incorrect name because we've gone ahead and done so many little episodes with it that we've gone to bi-monthly we are doing this twice a month you'll be seeing those episodes out and probably by the time this comes out there's gonna be a lot more episodes that are out still on mondays though right yeah still mondays so. still mondays yes first and third mondays of the month so i am very happy about it it's a fun little show and i i enjoy it a lot and i encourage anybody who is interested on being on the show to contact me and i would uh, love to have you on you know anybody except you jeff yeah i know uh you'll notice <laughs> that i haven't contacted you about that yet at all well, here's the thing. I think that you already have a list of movies I want you to watch that you can't get around to watching anyways. <laughs> I have a list of movies that I want to get around to watching that's impossible. I have a daughter that's like, you know, it's like I can't expose her to the fun stuff I want to see because she's like too young and I don't want to destroy her mind because that's kind of, you know, I'm already working that way. And then there's that other aspect, too, where it's kind of like she also doesn't want to watch TV. I'm like, hey, maybe a TV night. We can watch Community. Click. And she's like, could you turn the TV off? I'm like, No. <laughs> Can we say no and watch TV? And she goes, turn that off. And I'm like, all right, let's play Lego. Click. <laughs> so. See, un- unlike me, who I am getting my daughter through the MCU right now, which is wonderful. She she's kind of is a little bit 
backs off from violence. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of intense violence and a lot of intense action scenes. Not really her cup of tea for a long time. Finally started getting her into that. And we've been doing the chronological order of watching and just loving it. Loving it, loving it, loving it. We made it up to Avengers so far. She was just hyped up when the they did the circle shot of the Avengers all standing there <laughs> as the aliens are attacking. She's like, I want that on a t-shirt. And <laughs> I am looking. I, I'm looking to see. That's got to be out there on a t-shirt somewhere. I want to try to find that. But, but but I'd also, I would be surprised if it's not on a t-shirt somewhere. It's got to be on a t-shirt somewhere. I just can't find it. <laughs> but it's very cool. It's very cool to be able to start experiencing that with my daughter. And you, you'll maybe get there one day too. Oh, just around the corner. Ten more short years, or <laughs> five more years, something like that. I don't know. So, what what is it? What is life in a Jeffrey Dodd land? Oh well, let's see. The saga of the stump tooth has been completed. Huzzah! I got my quest reward. Yes, I got my shiny new tooth. It was a. Uh, it took four months of pandemic world trying to do a thing that should have not have taken anywhere near that length of time, but. Pretty good times for me. The sad thing is, is that what you don't know is the metal that they used for your tooth is actually the melted down metal of a ring of power that is currently being oh. hunted by a guy named Smeagol. And he, you're going to oh, wake man. up one night with him leaning over your bed with a pair of pliers saying, my precious. Oh, and, man. And your life will never, ever be the same again. No. Well, that would also explain all the ring rates. <laughs> Nothing explains the I ring mean, rates. I mean, you know, it's just, I gotta, every time, you know, I go out and I'm like, oh, been pulling weeds, time to go out in the 90 degree weather and throw some mulch around. And, uh, you darn Nazgul's, get out of here. And they're like, Richard. That eight ring race, that is called a heat stroke. So you might want to look into that. I actually found a, an awesome use for uh, the masks that I'm wearing, you know, out and about everywhere. Is you know, I got a big pile of mulch in the front. You know, it's like stuff to shovel in there, threw it into a wheelbarrow, and went, <laughs> man, if only I had some way of filtering that dust so it wouldn't get into my lungs. And I said, wait, we everybody owns masks now. So I ran inside, got one, and then wore that for like three or four hours while I was shoveling mulch and straightening it out in the 90 degree weather and everything. And you know, it, that worked out really well. And the fun part of that story is that after like four hours of wearing a mask, I didn't die. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. But you know what? You may not have died, but I think, I think that in this issue that we're going to talk about today, there is some death. So I think we have uh, put it off long enough. I think we actually got to get to it. Yeah. Well, let's put it off a little bit longer because I got a two-sentence replay to do. That sounds like a plan, my friend. It is time for the powers to go on their much-anticipated vacation to Maine, and they are going to go in their, not, brand new car, which has not only enough room for the whole family, but also enough room for a very special guest to go with them. And it's, oh boy, my favorite, Franklin Richards! Once they get to Maine, though, they discover that it is stove up because pollution has caused dolphins to beach themselves and it is up to Power Pack to save them by transporting them back into the water and discovering that Franklin now has the ability to talk to dolphins. Now that the we ended on a cliffhanger of Franklin dying due to getting stuck in a dying dolphin's mind, two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our Power Pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Now, I want to go ahead and do one big 
big apology to John Bogdanoff because he really wanted me to get a New England beer for the show. And I tried reaching out and tried getting the one he recommended, but just didn't happen. So I had to go with my backup one for this. And I, I do apologize, John. I tried my best. But I got something that I think is going to be a fun little replacement. Jeffrey, if you would please grab your beer that I have so carefully wrapped in paper bags and open it up and tell me what you got there. Let's see what we got. We have a can. We have a fat orange cat. Remove the beer from the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting label that is very uh, like drawn with Sharpies. And it has just a blue and green kind of squiggly line ocean waves going up to the almost the very top of the can where there's a orange cat stuck in a bottle. I don't know what to say about this. I don't remember Garfield uh, dropping in on this issue at all. But I thought that the uh, remove the beer from the bottom of the ocean, I thought it was a very environmentally yes. sound yes. can. I thought it yeah. was very perfect for it. Yeah, and we did have a handful of cool cats go down to the bottom of the ocean to remove some trash and some recyclables. So yes, we did. Yes, we did. This is a very appropriate title for a beer. <laughs> Man, I don't even know what to say. You know, story time. Oh, it's a... New England, New England India Pale Ale. Yeah, story time is government morning. Don't do the stuff because it's boozies. And you know what? I actually got a little bit close here because it is from Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. So I'm up in the area, at least. I got up in the area, but I didn't get the one that he wanted. This one here, this has got Eureka and Mosaic hops, and they create a complex cornucopia of stone fruit and berry flavors but also very earthy and dank. Hazy IPA with a 7.5% ABV. Well, I'm curious to get into the dank of this can. And I am smelling some hops and some fruits. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's gonna be a chewy, chewy beer. Yeah, this is. This is hazy, this is hazy. This is this, super hazy. This looks like a good old glass of orange juice is what I would say that this looks like. I fully agree. It's a bubbly orange juice. It's a... Uh, it's a mimosa. <laughs> yeah, it's a mimosa. Yeah. That's exactly what I was... The word I was looking for is mimosa. As you said, there's a bit of a, a fruity, hoppy smell on there. Not as strong of hops as I really was expecting. I mean, the first blast was kind of big, but after that, it kind of calms down a little bit. Man, this is bubbly as all get out just around the wall and the top and everything, but it has no head on it. Mm -hmm. It's just like a really thin bubble layer. And, you know, it is opaque because of that haze. Gotta tell you, I like that. That is huh. a nice fruity taste. It actually has some of that fruit and berry. I, I actually am getting some orange, actually. I, I feel like there's some citrus orange in there, too. Right off the bat, this really kind of reminds me of one of my, my favorite combos is a Widmere Hefeweizen with lemon. Yeah. yeah which yeah, I used yeah. to, you know, go out, shoot pool, drink those all night long kind of thing. It was just like, great. This seems very reminiscent of that with too much lemon in it. Yeah. Yeah, I can how I that. see that. It's like, oh, I put, you know, it's, I just kept on putting lemons into the, into the pitcher. You know, it's a little too citrusy or lemony now and it's very reminiscent of that. Yeah. It's, it's got the sharp kick near the end. Mm -hmm. Beyond that sharp kick, I think it's 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 quite smooth. Yeah, it's got a good taste to it. It's like, oh, I'm getting these flavors, but there's like a this undernote of dank that does kind of just rest on like the center left part of my tongue and just kind of just lays there. Yeah, it kind of goes from a citrusy to kind of a hoppy kind of flavor. Yeah, yeah, and then hovers around just kind of with the 
Yeah, a little hoppy dank little fruit hoppy notes kind of just hanging but, but not bad. It's not unpleasant, even with our hop-hating yeah. <laughs> taste buds. I think we're starting to come slowly around on yeah, the hops a little bit. Around. You drink enough of it, and all of a sudden you start to, eh. Yeah. Yeah, it's pleasant. It's a great summer beer. Yeah, it's perfect for this nice hot weather here. Now, let's find out if it's perfect for this comic. I mean, we like the title. The title kind of matches, and it's based in the right area. But uh, what else we got here? I think uh, if we go through the opening credits, we can find out what's in the rest of this book. Power Pack, issue number 49, October 1989. The Wasting. Credits, John Bugnatov, script and pencils. James Sherman, pencils, pages 22 to 26. Hilary Barda, inks. Joe Rosen, letters. Glennis Oliver, colors. Carl Potts, honeymooner. Tommy DeFalco, chiefs. Featuring Power Pack. Alex Power, a.k.a. Destroyer, Matter Disintegrator. Julie Power, a.k.a. Molecula, Mistress of Density, Density Controller. Jack Power, a.k.a. Counterweight, Gravity Adjuster. Katie Power, a.k.a. Starstreak, Rainbow Flyer. Franklin Richards, a.k.a. Tattletail, Dream Dreamer. Guest starring Jim and Maggie Power, two parents of four kids that have taken them and a fifth kid on a vacation with multiplying dangers. For those of you who have forgotten the last page of the previous issue... The splash page of this issue kindly sums it up thusly. The Power family has rented a cottage on Monahegan Island in Maine. On a bright summer night, the idyllic rental sits comfortably on the hillside overlooking the Gulf of Maine. A lighthouse in the distance shines its warm beacon far and wide, a signal for all to avoid what dangers they might find. Aww, it's beautiful. <laughs> It's Franklin! He was having a bad dream and started choking in his sleep. I can't wake him up. He's not breathing. Alex, Franklin is dying. Poor kid. He's been choking for such a long time. I mean, we know that the space between panels is a measurable distance of narrative time, but how long is the space between publications of a comic book? Or for that matter, between comic to podcast about said comic? <sighs> That length of time is just a bit longer than my patience. In fact, this length of time is just as long as this joke is going to continue. So, Alex and Jack's effort to rouse Franklin have alerted their sisters that something is afoot. The two girls arrive in the room just in time to see the little kid wake up, gasping. He instantly starts to relate his special dream. It was beautiful, but awful. He was a baby dolphin swimming with a pod, but the water was making him sick and he died. The dolphins are still in trouble, even though they just pulled them off the beach. They have to go help them. They have to go save them! The parents, who obviously were sleeping in the next house over, have finally arrived to find out why the kids are awake in the middle of the night. The kids assure the parents that everything is fine, nothing to see here, all is well, and that Franklin just had a bad dream. The kids shoo the parents back to bed, and then, after the parents fall back asleep, they sneak out. Because that's what they're really good at doing. Actually, they seem to have gotten better at it. Alex even left them a note saying that they have gone out for an early morning hike to watch the sunrise, which will buy them some time if the parents wake up and find them missing. As the kids assemble on the hill overlooking the ocean, Alex asks how they are going to save the dolphins if they don't have any diving gear. Friday can make us some like before. If only she were here. Hey, they remembered Friday. That's something they haven't done in... Um, let me just count on my fingers here. One, two, three, four, five, da 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 uh, a while. Yeah, uh, sadly, the only time they think about Friday is when they need something from them, which 
which really doesn't shine a good friendship light on the pack. Too bad they don't have any other friends that could call in right now because it seems like they are stuck if they can't get any diving gear. I bet Bosco can make us some. He told me all I have to do is write him a note, which I did. Oh, right. Your little pal from elsewhere. Ha! But Jack is soon eating his words. Or he would be if he were not now wearing a diving helmet. Yes, see. This helmet appears as they costume on because Katie's note that she put into her street clothes pocket takes effect as they are costuming on. And sure enough, they are all soon wearing modified costumes with diving helmets and gloves and flippers. Oh, my. The gang fly off with Frank pointing the way to the pod of dolphins. Having trouble sensing where they are, Frank suggests that they head directly under the water. And because a four and a half year old suggests it, it must be a good idea. So in they go. With illumination provided by a rainbow trail and a powered up destroyer, the kids attack the darkness. Not an incorrect assessment. Sure it is still night, and the water is pitch black, and it is in the middle of the ocean. And Katie's starting to get scared, but at least Julia's having fun. She finds that the water reacting with her cloud form makes her all bubbly and she feels like ginger ale. Jack, of course, doesn't care about any of that and just wants to dive deeper and deeper. Basically, he wants to become the next Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> More like Steve Cizau, if you ask me. But the kids quickly realize that they are not alone in the water. No, they are surrounded by many, many dark swimming shapes. Shapes that are circling and getting closer. I wish I'd never seen Jaws. Meanwhile in space. Home of the scenes with no John Williams score. In a repeat of last issue's space interlude, we find that the chameleon leaders are still chewing on their hooves, worrying about the dying spark of Friday. They are also told that Kofi stole and will probably destroy another smart ship. In said smart ship, Kofi is still flying through space to get the mysterious help that he needs to save Friday. Meanwhile, back on Earth, home of the well, our home, and also technically still in space. Franklin took that interlude break to recognize that these swimming objects as being not bad things, but good things. These aren't sharks or snarks or narks, these are dolphins. While he could talk to them in his dreams, because he was a dolphin and it was dream logic, talking with them now involves a literally more hands-on approach. By putting his little helmeted noggin against the head of a dolphin, they are able to emote at each other. Mama, she's warm and soft. I feel like I've known her all my life. Aww. Once that connection is made, the pack tells Franklin to tell the dolphins that they are here to help. But apparently, the dolphins already know this, and they want to say... Thank you. Apparently, word got around on the Dolphin Ring Network that there were some small humans with powers who were helping them. Knowing that help was available, the pod put out the really strong psychic SOB, which is what overloaded Franklin in the cottage, since he is psi-sensitive. S-O-B? Save our blubber. The water is sick, and the dolphins have been trying to tell humans about it, but they are too dumb to understand thinkspeak. Dumb? Who's dumb? What's the last time you saw a dolphin build a car, or a building, or send a rocket into space, or write a book even? Jack, maybe they just don't want to do those things, or maybe big government is hiding them from us. Wait, are you one of those dolphin conspirists? We are a small but fierce group, and we stand against the obfuscation measures of our dolphin overlords. Our motto is, bring to the surface what they hide in the depths. Well, okay. Moving on. Julie wishes that the dolphins could speak like a human, so that they could talk to her. Well, ping goes the ring of wishes that you didn't know you were wearing, because your wish is granted. Franklin is going to allow his favorite dolphin mama to speak through him. 
just like a pod puppet. And after a slight pause, with Franklin sitting on the dolphin's back, we get the dolphin talking through him and welcoming the children, thanking them for their bravery, and saying that the ocean and all of her peoples need their help. Now I want to take a minute to remind everyone that Power Pack has been to space, has fought aliens, has made it through the mutant massacre and the Inferno event with nary a scratch, but this right here, this moment in time, talking with a dolphin, this is what causes Jack to take a pause and break the fourth wall. Jack is always breaking something. You're thinking of Katie. Woo! This is too weird for me! The four kids are invited to climb onto the backs of the dolphins and are taken on an awesome ride. As they travel, we find out that while the dolphins have many means of communication, empathic telepathy is their common tongue. But like how Franklin is unique that he can only think like a dolphin, so is the dolphin they are speaking with. She has the ability to think in the strange way that humans do. Alex says that he once read that humans only use 10% of their brain power, and that he bets that we could learn to think like dolphins if we could just tap into that other 90%. Yeah, you keep thinking that, Alex. You keep thinking that. They eventually reach the site of the problem. There's a vast undersea canyon that is literally littered with litter. The majority of it's barrels of toxic chemicals and radioactive materials, but there are also cars, other human-made debris, and dead sea animals. The dolphin's mother names this place the Place of Sick Waters, and says that it is growing, and that nothing lives where its touch has been felt. Jack and Alex move down to inspect, hoping their suits will protect them, while Alex tells the others to get the dolphins to safety. As they get closer, Alex is ready to send Jack away too while he disintegrates the sickening stuff. But Jack refuses, reminding his brother that he needs someone to watch over him. Jack is worried that Alex will overload on energy and die, like how he almost did with the Master Mold. Nearby, the girls are watching their brothers and notice more junk being dumped on top of them. Katie, showcasing her inner Magnus Burnsides, rushes in. I'm going to throw their garbage right back at them. There are sights that will stay with you once you see them. A first sunset with the love of your life, the birth of your child, seeing your favorite celebrity in person for the first time, and watching them run into a glass wall. But having a rainbow throw a steel drum at you in the middle of the night while in the middle of the ocean has to run to the top of the list. Wrong! I would disagree. I think having a little girl wearing a fishbowl on her head and punching you in the breadbasket would be seared in your memory. Pow wham! Nah, that would just be written off as one of those infamous New England space alien monsters that you always read about in the paper. At least, that is what the crew thinks. Lucky for them, they have their own Captain Morton to yell derogatory words at them. I don't care if it's Tinkerbell. I want it stopped. Come on, you wussies. Kill it. As the chastised polluters encircle Katie, a bubble-lifted pile of garbage gets dumped on them. Compliments of one, Julie Power. Julie also really plays up her ghostly appearance and provides a scared straight message to the ship. Stop dumping. How dare sailors like you poison your own ocean. While the superstitious seamen start shaking and screaming about how the spirit of the sea herself has risen up to destroy them, Julie tells her sister to find a way to stop the boat. Kitty flies into a smokestack, you know, that funnel thing that people always dive into or hide in in movies. Well, she dives in while grumbling about how she does not know how to stop a boat. Crash, grind, thud. She may not know how to stop a ship, but she knows how to break stuff, demonstrated by her holding part of the gear shaft. Meanwhile, Alex is sucking up all of the pollution like a hungry teenager drinking a very large and toxic milkshake. Jack is reminding him that he needs to expel that energy. You see, Alex is about 12 feet tall now and built like a power lifter. So, maybe he's got a full tummy now. No! Feels good! I can do it! 
do this? And once again, we have a scene of Alex overloading himself instead of just absorbing and releasing. It's like the bigger he becomes, the more his mind shuts down. Jack tries a different tact. He points out that while a good-sized chunk of garbage is now gone, a lot of the bad stuff has seeped into the silt and he needs to be buried. Aiming his now much, much bigger brother at the canyon walls, Alex lets a big powerball rip. Shrek attack a boom! On the boat, the violent action has caused the boat to rock and allowed a ship's boom to complete its purpose in life, which is to swing free and conk someone on the head. And that person is Katie, and she is knocked out. Rack. Incapacitated, the sinister stevedores start approaching Katie. Back below, Alex has still not learned anything about moderation because he has disintegrated the rest of the dump without powerballing off. And since he has not expelled enough energy, he has grown into a large, roughly 30 foot tall, misshapen, glowing, humanoid thing. In fact, he has grown so large that his atoms have begun to disassociate and his bubble diving helmet has exploded. Forgetting that he has superpowers to deal with the situation, Jack tries to approach Alex to knock a powerball out of him and get zapped for his troubles. Franklin, still on the back of his dolphin friend, catches Jack and the dolphin leaves the two boys and heads straight for Alex. With a powerful... Womp! The dolphin hits Alex in the back, causing another massive blast to be released that depletes Alex and takes down another underwater canyon wall. Back above, where the colorist has completely fallen asleep at the wheel, the polluting pirates are about to remove Katie's helmet, and then her head, but Julie threatens them. Toucheth thy peril, O wicked men of dry earth, so speaks the sea spirit. And, as if on cue, the blast from below rocks them violently, causing the scurrilous crew to abandon ship before they are scuttled. Franklin dreamselfs himself up to the two girls and gives them the SOS that Alex is in trouble. Again. Yeah, seems to be a theme. A side effect of nearly blowing himself up is that he has wrecked his diving suit and is, you know, deep, deep underwater, uh, drowning. Julie flexing her new bubble power combines the intelligence of Mr. Fantastic and the powers of the Invisible Woman to create a life-saving air bubble for Alex. Okay, I'm getting the Invisible Shield like the Invisible Woman, but what is the Mr. Fantastic part? Well, she has obviously compensated for air pressure at the lower water levels and has reduced it while bringing Alex to the surface because she did not want him to die from the bends when she let him out of the ship. Speaking of dying, Franklin calls the kids back into the water. The mama dolphin that Frank has been connected to is really sick, and the extra exertion of saving Alex has pushed her over the edge. With the healing of the water, though, she tells them that they have given her people new hope in the land dwellers and that she is happy to have lived to see it. But it is time for her to go and to be with her baby. While Power Pack surrounds her and attempts to use their healing circle power, Franklin pleads with her. No, not yet. Please. We can heal you. Come on, you guys. We have to heal her. We have to. And as the panels grow darker, fading to black, Mama Dolphin dies, surrounded by Power Pack. A little while later, they are back on the boat. Julie is comforting Frank and Katie, while Jack is metaphorically shaking his fist at the sky. The little dolphin in Frank's dream really was Mama's dolphin's baby, and he wishes that there was something they could do to keep the polluters from dumping their garbage in the ocean again. Well, there must have been some magic left in that old wishing ring that they didn't know that they had, because Alex has been ransacking the ship's cabin and has found the smoking gun which in this case is the work order from the Waste Management Corporation listing this trip with bogus cargo and no destination. Alex's sharp manicure-like legal mind has already deduced that this document keeps the company in the clear. It may in a legal sense, but these are underage kids with superpowers. 
Breaking the law is their middle name, and they are not above threatening people and teaching them a lesson either. On a side note, you may be asking yourself what happened to those sailors who jumped into the water to escape the sea spirit. And if you have not been, then you are horrible people that hope that they had all drowned. Feel bad, you're bad people. But do you know who is not a bad people? Dolphins. They are not bad people at all. They are good people. And they have saved the seamen. While most of the guys are ready to turn over a new leaf, the captain is made from the same cloth as Carmody, and is cursing out the dolphins as soon as he is back on shore. Just in time for a cloudy rainbow to pull him up into the air. The kids are pretty clear. They want his boss's address, or they are going to make him do that same swim again, but without the dolphins' help. The next morning, before the sun rises on the giant mansion and estate of Fillmore W. Austin, the owner wakes up to a strange sound, grabbing his surely 100% legal machine gun to confront whoever has broken into his home. He quickly discovers that his house is filled with toxic waste. Outside, being greeted by the sun's first rays, we see the garbage chip tipped over in his front yard with more toxic waste. To put a point on this, Mr. Aston screams out, who would dump 6,600 tons of toxic waste on someone's home? Good question, sir. Good question. Who? Who would do such a thing? The last page features the kids flying home and discussing their action. And instead of summarizing this now, we are going to end our retelling of this tale so that we can discuss this page later. And the only way that we can do that is by bidding adieu to this story arc and by saying... Next issue, off to see Camellia! Insert record scratch. But I'm probably not going to do that. Before we get to the next issue of Power Pack, we are setting the old DeLorean back to 1986 in the Spider-Man and Power Pack free comic book put out by the NEA. Yes, that one. But we are only going to be covering the Power Pack part. We promise. Now back to our show. And the themes of this issue with the Power Pack packaging time. So we have... Another cover here that is drawn by our favorite team, Bogdanov and Barda. Bog and Barda. Bog and Barda. Bog and Barda. I would say this is probably not one of the best drawn of Bog's uh, work that he's done. It looks a bit rushed. I'm going to say that. But there's a lot going on on this. You want to go ahead and explain what we got here on this cover? Okay, we're out at sea, we are on a garbage scow kind of ship, like a barge, and we have a bunch of polluters and they're armed with guns and fishing gaffs and things like that. There's bunches of barrels and it's uh, benzene and toline and it says, you know, like, danger, hazardous waste, and Jack's picked up a barrel and is about to Donkey Kong chuck it at some crew members, and Julie's out at sea is a giant cloud, spirit of the ocean, and, you know, getting ready to curse the 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 bad sea people <laughs> katie has grabbed a, a rifle out of a man's hands and is punching him right in the jaw alex is shooting multiple power balls hitting a bunch of different crew members and uh dream franklin is there with a fishing gaff right through his torso going boo as he's got his ghostly lower torso it looks great and there's you know it's just like some of the barrels are damaged and leaking just green scudge onto the ship's deck. So uh, it's similar to what happened in the issue in the sense that, yeah, there's garbage cow people and Power Pack's going to be dealing with them. There's no secret. I mean, this scene doesn't yeah. exactly happen, but this this tells the story. This tells the tale of what is going yeah. on here. It is close enough that I accept it. Yeah. There's a little caption on it that says, waste not, want not. And the only other thing I will say is, did you notice the uh, little corner box where we usually have power pack power packs not in the corner box we got oh yeah I dolphin. Didn't we got a couple mm-hmm. of dolphins yeah we got mama dolphin and baby dolphin 
flashback to when they were happy and alive. The art style is not Bog's best, but I, I do like it. I think that it conveys the story very well. It does. You know exactly what this book is about. Yeah, it sums it up really good. It is power pack versus polluters in the ocean. Uh, now, we were talking about the last page of this book, and we didn't really cover it because it kind of sums up most of the book here. We've got the kids flying back, and, and Julie is really talking about, you know, hey, guys, was this really legal, what we did tonight? Was this really the right thing? And she's really questioning their motives. I mean, they did go and they dumped this big freighter on somebody's property with all this toxic waste, which is now seeping into the ground. I mean, she's kind of questioning, hey, you know, we may feel great that we did that, but was that really right? Yeah, because she even says, she goes, I, uh, what does she say exactly? She goes, I don't quite feel right about it legally or environmentally. And so there is kind of the discussion, you know, where Alex is even kind of like, yeah, me too. But then he's like, but you got to admit it was poetic justice. Yeah. And he's, he's trying to play the middle ground between that. And of yeah. course, we got Jack on the other side saying, no, that was awesome. We should do that more <laughs> often. Um, you know, th- this is just, this is the way it goes, you know. And besides, what are we going to do? This is the most we can do. What else can we do? We can't go up yeah, against yeah. the big businesses. We can't go up and do anything else. This is, this is all we can do because this is the power we've got. Yeah, because Alex was like, maybe I should have just disintegrated the whole boat. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Jack's argument is this person would just go buy another boat and continue doing it if we pick up his, you know, his toxic stew boat and drop it into his house. It's going to raise questions. Yeah. And he's going to have to pay to clean it up. And then because of things like that, it's going to be like, well, wait a minute. How come you have, there's a ship's manifest. It says this is yours. And it says that this was just a whole bunch of. I don't know, cotton blankets, but when actually it's just this toxic stew. What's what's going on here? Right. I hope that it was more than just like a petty revenge yeah. thing where it's like, you dump garbage in our friend's uh, home, we're going to dump gar- your garbage into your home. And I hope that it was kind of like the, this might actually raise awareness of what's been going on and who's been involved with it and get him to have to clean up his mess and you know face consequences, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we want to have happen to criminals. Yeah. So, yes. And, and of course, Katie is coming back with the, you know, we're giving these powers to save the planet. This is saving the planet. We are, we are trying to do something that actually helps the planet and, and does good things that we can live on the planet. Cause guess what? We are green here too, guys. Yeah. We want to save the planet. So, you know, let's, let's think about what we're doing. Let's recycle folks. Yes. Yes. We're those kinds of, uh, we live in Portland, Oregon, man. All right. Leave us alone. <laughs> we recycle. You must recycle. You should. It's easy. But, uh, you know, it's it's kind of along those lines, too, where, you, like, Julie is just sort of like, uh, ethically, I don't think what we did was right. I don't think we should have done that. You, you know, that it still dirties the environment. And Alex's kind of argument on this is, like, if it was dumped in the ocean or it's dumped on his home, it's going to be the same thing. It's affecting the earth, and we all live here. So, you know, in Jack's kind of view is like, you know, it's like there's always going to be companies like this that are going to cut corners and just dump garbage places. And, you know, it's like and they're not they're just going to worry about money and not worrying about leaving a, a, a healthy environment for the kids to grow up in. And I do love the fact that it was kind of Katie's idea saying, you know, it's like Whitey told us we can save the world. Can't us superheroes use our powers to at least help the earth hang on until everybody else learns? And it's like. And they're kind of like, yeah, that maybe that maybe should be the mission. Maybe that is how we save the world: is just you know be a delay, you know be the wall, be the delaying action mm-hmm. until other people figure it out too. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. So the the last page is very, it's kind of a heavy handed message. You know, it's it's done nicely in the story, but it is heavy handed. Whereas message saying, 
you know, you know, it's like this happens. We need to do stuff about it. The Earth can only take so much. We need to pass this on to our children. I, I don't know if it's that heavy-handed. I think that it it's it's questioning everything that happened and it. it's packaging it all up and saying, okay, look, this is all happening here. Here's here's what I am trying to convey to you with mm-hmm. with why I wrote this story, which I think is fine. I think it's it's it's. I mean. Oh, I've seen much heavier handed. That's why I said it's kind of heavy handed. Where it's just it's giving it's giving the message, and you know, it's great. It, you know, there's there's bog levels of word here. There is there's lots of words. <laughs> he's put he's kind of crammed a couple of pages in here, going, oh, we gotta get we gotta fit it in. It's a great story, and it's a it is a great message. Yes, I mean, is. and it's true because it's still going on to this day. We need to take care of the earth. Everybody lives here, and we need to do what we can. Yeah. Luckily, this uh, came out, whatever, 35 years ago or something. So, obviously, we've done a lot better since then, right? We've learned our lesson. So, um, I really <laughs> wanted to talk a little bit about why Alex just... Uh, Alex has not learned here. He, he, he's he got this weird habit of taking in power and not letting it go. And I think it's yeah. a very dangerous precedent he's setting. And I think it's going to come back... And I think this is going to be a character-defining moment for him that's going to take him all the way through New Warriors. Really? He's all about the power. It's, I mean, it, yes, it's his name. It's, it's Alex Power. It's all power. That's all he is, is all power. Okay. All power yeah. all the time. All power all the time. Uh, spoilers, I haven't read New Warriors or hey, very little or not anything that has have Alex in them. to. <laughs> I'm aware of that, but I will do that in the future when I have to. Future's vastly approaching. Yeah, this is that's us. very true. This is us airing our dirty laundry on a podcast. <laughs> No, that's true. I've I've looked at my uh, stack of comics, and uh, I'm kind of like you know before I had the the stack of power pack. I'm like, man, that's a big stack of power pack. And now the you know the the out pile and the in pile are you know kind of different. And it's like, man, this stack's getting kind of small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but guess yeah. what? Oh, there's tons and tons of stuff. We're going to be around for a while, and that's pretty great. But let's get back to talking about Alex. So yeah, Alex. Yeah, I don't understand what's wrong with him because it's just like, it's not too hard. It's just kind of like, Alex, take a bite and then spit it out. You don't have to look at the buffet table and say, it's mine. I think it's the responsi- kind of the responsibility, the kind of self-appointed leadership thing where he's like, I have to be able to do this all on my own. And he just doesn't realize where it's like, yeah, you can do it on your own, but you don't have a real timeline on this. You you do have to get to it by the end of the comic, obviously, but it's easy to slap up a, you know four hours later. You don't have to get it all right now. I think he has a fear of using his power. I think he has a fear of shooting off powerballs. Okay. Because that's what it is. Like, I'm just going to bring it in and just do one powerball instead of shooting off all these smaller ones, which would be better... I don't know. Maybe he's getting high off of it. Maybe Mally, maybe maybe he is just uh, an addict. Well, there literally is that section of the comic at the beginning. Jack is like saying, hey, you need to vent some power out. And he's like, no, feels good. So I guess there is. You know, but he also follows it up with saying, I can do this. And mm. it's like, so, but, so holding that energy in apparently does feel good. So that might be an encouragement to, hey, I'm not going to shoot off a powerball. So there may be that kind of feedback loop of like, hey, if you absorb this and get this energy, it feels real nice. So I don't want to let that go. I, and also, I have that need to not you know, relinquish control. Mm-hmm. So it could be that kind of combo of, I have to be able to do it all in one go. I have to be the hero here. And also, hmm, I'm liking what this <laughs> is doing. I have 
serious problems with Alex and his and that control thing, and I, I'd like him to stop doing that sometime soon. That'd be really nice. Yeah, it's it's I don't understand it, especially when it's like you're in a perfect environment. There's nothing really around. This is a dead zone. Yeah, this is a literal dead zone. You can't hurt anything. Just shoot a ball off into the water, and it'll eventually fizzle out. Whereas on the other hand, we've got Julie, who is she is just using her powers and flexing them in ways nobody thought imaginable. Oh, yeah. I mean, making making airtight shields down there like the invisible woman that can pull Alex to the surface, utilizing her cloud form to become the sea spirit. I mean, yeah, that she, was great. she's doing some other th- cool things with her powers, which is kind of cool to see because everyone kind of mm-hmm. poo-pooed the, the uh, cloud part for so long. I honestly, I like that power a lot. I was, you know, had thought about it. I'm like, that's pretty cool. You can, you know, you got an offense ability with going dense and small. You can, you know, I think they're getting to a point where they can, uh, you know, be a cloud shape and have a, a fist come out. You you can kind of phase because you can mist through cracks and walls and everything. You provide cover for people. You can fly. And, you know, it's like you're not as fast technically as uh, light speed is. You're still all traveling together. You yeah. show up at about the same time. So, yeah, no, it, it's it's not a shabby power no no not at all i i I like how the team is is working i like john bognov's use of the characters i think they're really good kind of wish that he had been the artist on the entire book (laughs) and there's a definite uh art style change by the end of the book when we have the guest penciler come in and finish off the book well, that's the thing, though. Keep keep in mind that is that's pages twenty two through twenty six. Yeah. So it does go back to Bog. Yeah. I'm thinking there was something going on where it's just like, hey, I need some more hands helping me here because even mm-hmm. like there's a panel on page twenty nine where it's it's Bog and Barda. So you know it's just like Barda's helped out, Bog's doing it, the uh, guest penciler James Sherman. You know, so it's kind of like there's a lot of hands in this yeah. trying to get this issue done. So there's probably a story back there about that, but it's most likely just. We ran into deadlines. Yeah, there are a few things that look rushed on it. Uh, we mentioned that the coloring on page 25 is all over the boards. Um, <laughs> yeah, the people are green, green-skinned. The costumes are changed. You know, it's like Franklin's in green. Julie's back in her kind of rosy red. Katie's in blue. The sea is purple. Yeah, I think things are just all over the board. There, yeah. There's there's a color mismatch that occurred there. And, but yeah, there's some questions about some of the uh, uh, issues with the, the the speed in which this book was made. I think the content is good, though. I, I do like the content of the book. And, I mean, it's always enjoyable to read John Bogdanoff's work. I do enjoy it. It's Power Pack. It's great. It's got Franklin in it. We love him to pieces. He's our, he's our boy. He's our beautiful, beautiful boy. <laughs> it's got dolphins. It's got the ocean. It's got, yeah, it's got a lot of neat stuff going on with it. It is really good. I enjoy it. Yeah. It's also got a stand-in for Mr. Roberts. And that blank look that you're giving me means that you have no clue at all what I am talking about. So let me go ahead and explain this to you by breaking out my library card. You see, I am talking about the captain of this ship, who I made my own little joke because he kind of reminded me of somebody named Captain Morton. And that was a character that was played by James Cagney in the 1946 movie Mr. Roberts. The way that the captain was kind of acting and uh, acting to his crew, it just kind of made me think of this movie. Now, let me tell you about this. Mr. Roberts was a movie that was filmed in 1955 and starred Henry Fonda as Lieutenant 
Douglas Roberts, or Mr. Roberts, James Cagney as Lieutenant Commander Captain Morton, William Powell as Doc, and Jack Lemmon as Ensign Pulver. And this movie was based upon the novel, the 1946 novel by Thomas Hagen. And this was about his experiences during World War II in the Southwest Pacific Theater. The ship that they were on was an auxiliary cargo ship called the USS Reluctant. It was kind of this bucket that was sent out to help supply other ships. So it really wasn't part of the war. It just was supplying the actual warships that were going on. And this book was about the series of things that occurred on this boat as they were kind of led by this tyrannical commander who hated the crew, hated everything they did, and was just trying to live up life as the commander of the ship and cared more about his potted plant than anything else. Of course, I'm getting a lot of this confused with the movie. I do have to apologize. I did not get a chance to read the book. I know the movie very, very well, but I couldn't read the book because the novel is really hard to find. And when I put this together and I thought about the movie and I thought about what I was seeing in this comic, I realized that I was way too late in trying to find it. And when I looked online, it's like, well, this book is nowhere. But it was an actual book. So you got the captain who's really hard on the crew. But this Mr. Roberts character, he's the one who is kind of in between the crew and the captain. He's trying to make sure that his crew is taken care of for. He gives them the morale he wants while he's trying to always be in front of the captain. But he has dreams of actually serving on a war vessel. That's all he wants to do. He wants to get sent out and serve on a warship. And the person that's keeping him from doing it is the captain. Because the captain knows that if this guy goes away, he's never going to get his work done. So there's this great dynamic between these two characters. And especially in the movie, which I love, but played by Henry Fonda and James Cagney. You also got Jack Lemmon playing Ensign Pulver, who's the officer who shirks all of his duty and never quite gets anything done, spends most of the time, his time on the bunk. Great movie. Highly, highly recommend it. If you can find the book, please let me know, because I would actually I really like to read the book as well. <laughs> but that is my library corner. Jeff, you got some science you want to give us, right? Indeed I do. In this issue, while talking to dolphins, Alex claimed that he once read that humans only use 10% of their brain power and that he bets that humans could learn to think like dolphins if they could tap into the other 90%. Well, this got me thinking. While it really seems like a lot of people these days are only using 10% of their brain power, how much of their brains are they actually using? Well, it turns out that there is a short answer to this question, and that answer is 100%. Are you shocked by this revelation? Well, that's not surprising, as a recent survey by the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research found that 65% of people in the U.S. believed in this myth. And I understand why they do. Really, I do. The 10% myth sounds both feasible and appealing because they see it in terms of human potential. Many of us believe that we could achieve so much more, learning languages, musical instruments, sporting skills, if only we applied ourselves. So it is easy to see how this morphs into the shorthand idea that we use just 10% of our brain's capacity or potential. But modern brain scans show activity coursing through the entire organ, even when we're resting. Minor brain damage can have devastating effects, and that's not what you'd expect if we had an extra 90% just laying around. Also, considering the situation when neural tissue representing a limb is rendered redundant by the loss of that limb, very quickly neighboring areas recruit that tissue into new functions. For example, to represent other body regions. This shows how readily the brain utilizes all available neural tissue. So, be like your brain. Utilize all of your available neural tissue. Think, learn, wear a mask. And that is this week's Science Corner. But I don't wanna! Yeah, I have rights. 
I do have rights. I have rights and freedom. I have the right to put whatever picture I want on my refrigerator. And I do so with the refrigerator gallery where I put a piece of art from this book onto my refrigerator with all the freedom I have. And I'm going to quit hitting my leg because it's starting to hurt. <laughs> yeah, hurts just like my brain every time I look at the news anymore. It's hoofed. Jeff, you got some funny for me, my friend, right? I got some funny for you. Yay, well, hit me with that funny backup, if you will, sir. All right, my first funny we've already kind of talked about in a mm -hmm. not-dancing-around way, and that is on page 25, and I call it, Did the colors fall asleep? Was there a mistake at the printers? Or did we just uncover a conspiracy? I smell toast. I smell toast, or there might have been a stroke. Yeah, it, and and again, we talked about this earlier. This is just where the entire page is colored wrong. It's uh, I'm assuming it's a it's a print issue. I'm assuming that like a, you know a wrong selection was made and it wasn't caught, and they said, "Well, too late now. We'll get over it." The ocean looks like the Joker. I mean, it's purple and green. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. With white in the background, it's there's a whole lot of craziness going on here. We we can't even explain all of it. I will I will copy that picture and put it on our website for you all to look at and say, huh? Yeah. So my 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 joke backup is all the panels on all of this one page. So <laughs> it's one of the few times I'm going to do that. How about you? What's your joke backup? Let's go to the first page, and I'm going to say that uh, <laughs> now Jack is such a huge fan of Bog and Barda, such a huge fan that he actually got their signatures <laughs> tattooed on his arm. Okay, I didn't notice that part. I was, uh, <laughs> I, I had this on my list of like, hey, I could put this as a backup or something joke uh, because I was going to call this one, this kid needs a CPAP. <laughs> yeah, this is the one where we got Jack's face is like right up front. It's cool. It's a really cool picture too because oh, yeah. you got Jack's face right up front and he's like kind of shaking Franklin. You know, it's it's, it's this really good close-up of both their faces and it's really great art. But if you look right in the foreground, they got Jack's arm coming down and that's where Bogdanov and Barda did their signature right on Jack's arm, and it looks like a tattoo. And I loved it. I loved it. Loved it for that. It does. It does. So Jack, from here on out, is uh, he's got a tattoo. He's I got mean, a tat. yeah, I know he's he's eight and he's inked. Uh, his parents might not be real happy about it, but meh. Meh. What they were like, do? "What are you What are you doing? You're eight. You got ink. Let me see that." Oh, Bog and Barda. Well, Good I mean, I'm not happy about it, but I approve of it. Just wear long sleeves at school. I, I can I can hate the game. I can't hate the player. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do you have for your favorite funny one? My joke backup is on page 17, and I call it, How strong is this five-year-old? <laughs> this is the bottom right-hand panel, and this is Katie flying out of the water in her diving suit, hauling a... Uh, 55 gallon drum of toxic scudge with her uh and she's over you know getting ready to throw it at the ship below her and it's just like katie strong how is she does some amazing feats of strength this is a very strong five-year-old it is impressive yeah yeah that is uh that is true that it said she caught it in the water and started pushing it up so maybe it's just propulsion it could be but, propulsion. The, like the next page over a panel, it shows her like wing it at crew members. And maybe it's empty. 
but I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still it's an impressive feat of strength for yeah, her. It's it's an incredibly incredibly impressive feat of strength. And speaking of that, you know what else is an impressive feat of strength? Go two pages forward to page nineteen. And on the bottom corner panel, yeah. we see her doing something else in yeah. a scene that I call, did I do that? I knew it. I knew it. You're going to Urkel that. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. She, this one, this picture was on my list. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it because Rick's going to do it. And, and he's going to do it, Urkel. It. Yes. And he did and, it. And she's holding this gear piece and she's got this look on her face like, he did I do that? Yeah. Uh, just looking as cute and adorable in her little bubble helmet as she possibly can. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love her word bubbles for that too. She's all, it was an accident. I don't know what I did, but uh, the boat stopped. Yep. <laughs> yeah. She's a strong kid. Strong kid. Definitely strong kid. a strong kid. <laughs> Or, or this was just a scow that was just ready to, you know, you know Star Wars it up. And it's, it's a hunk of junk. Yeah, it might be that part, too. Could be. Could be. But that brings us to our best pictures. What do you have for your backup best one? My backup best one is on page 13, and I call it Moonlight Ride. And this is the bottom half of the page, and it is after the kids are all on a dolphin and getting a ride to the the sick waters and so it's just it's the entire pack riding on the back of the dolphins and the dolphins are leaping out of the water on a moonlit night and the moon is reflecting in the water and it is yeah it's just it's it's, it's what it is it is what i like i really like this it is your kind of thing it's that monochrome kind of color with like you know two-tone color it's yeah yeah that that is right up your alley i like that one i like that one a lot it's also the fact of just like yeah this is the power pack adventure i want i want them going around and riding dolphins and having adventures and just just fun and just being able to be like this was a really good main trip we rode dolphins and yeah it was awesome and this is just like save the environment yeah (laughs) just this picture in time would be like if you saw this and you saw i see people riding dolphins that did did you see that? You know that is just that is just magical to me. I love it. I'm gonna go on the other side of the water on page four, and this is when they are going in the water and heading to where the dolphins are, and they are splashing in the water. Yeah. And they're as a group, and they're yeah. going in, and there's something really cool about this. There's no real detail here because the kids are kind of they're kind of blobs. But what's cool is the underside of water that that Bog has drawn here because he's drawn it very sinewy. It's mm-hmm. almost, it, it's, there's, there's these really thin lines that are the waves and it's just a very interesting way of doing it. It's like, it's like the, the water is hair mm-hmm. and it's very, very cool. And it's, it's a very beautiful image. And I just was very, really struck by how different it was than everything else. It's, it's kind of like impression of what water is instead of the actual drawing of water. Yeah, no, it is. It's beautiful. It is great. And it is, uh, it's neat being underwater and just seeing how, you know, this solid object is interacting with the air above because it's very reflective. And this is a great representation of that where it's just like, yeah, there's, there's motion and curves and, and you can, yeah, you could just, you can almost just see it just swaying. That is a great picture. That really is. What's your top one, sir? Well, let's go all the way to the same page, page four. (laughs) And it is the top panel in there. And I call it nighttime beach trip yeah yeah and that is uh it is them they've uh, costumed on and they're flying from the land to the ocean and it's just this beautiful just like you know you're on a cliff 
just looking down the coast and it's just pretty i just like it i'm just like i have seen stuff like this you've you've been there seeing stuff like this with me on some hikes and everything where it's just like it's just gorgeous where you're just like yeah you know it's the kind of place where you would stop and be like yeah we're gonna take lunch here and i'm just gonna look at the world and i'm gonna look out over the sea and the cliffs and the land and the island and everything it's it's somewhere i would go i agree with you and what i find it very interesting is like that is the complete opposite from the one i just had whereas Mm-hmm. I've got the artistic impression of what the water is. You've got the actual artistic drawing of that water on top. So it's a very cool like juxtaposition between the two, which is nice. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, in fact, when you were saying it, I'm like, oh, you picked mine. Yep, but you nope, didn't. Didn't. And I was very happy. Didn't, didn't, didn't. <laughs> All right, let's go to my top one. And this one is going to be exactly the opposite of pretty much everything we've talked about. And it is on page 15. Because I am reaching back to our number one pick of this run of comic books that we call Power Book, the number one story, and saying that, you know, we, we said that one of our favorite stories is is Inferno and just how John Bogdanov is just excellent at drawing this disgust and filth and, and the oppression of it. And he's got another scene here just like that where he has drawn the bottom of the sick water with all these 55-gallon cans of nuclear waste and toxic stuff, dead animals, cars, junk. And it's just this mono... It's one of Jeff's favorite things. It's a monochrome kind of thing <laughs> where you've got like two colors really represented here. Just this one page, it again shows the filth and disgust, and you can just kind of feel it seeping off the page. Oh, and they pick a perfect color for it too, because yeah. it, it's kind of like a like a, a browned pea soup green kind yeah. of thing. It's that color where if you saw it on the ground, you'd be like, I don't want to touch that. Yeah, yeah. That is that is not healthy. Good, good choices. Good choices. None of us are uh, none of us are creeps about it. No, 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 we, no, no. we were not at all. We but, were not creeps. We were not jerks. So speaking of creeps, if we go into our rub and glue moment and talk about what was the best and most childish insult of this book. Let's go and talk a little bit about Jack on page 32 when he's talking about what those guys in the boat were doing. And he says that, you know, they wouldn't have to done anything to stop those creeps from getting uh, another boat and dumping all over again. So Jack's calling them creeps, which I gotta like that. I like creeps. Yep, he is calling them creeps. That's exactly what he's done. Jack, I think, is going to feature heavily in this section because (laughs) my backup one is on page 11. And this is when Franklin is just connected to Mama Dolphin and uh, is saying that when uh, when they saw us, they tried extra hard to send some, send the message. They didn't realize realize I was so sensitive. They thought all humans were dumb at think talking. And uh, Jack, being a standard person of his persuasion, who you know, is going to take offense at being called dumb at anything that. Of- Oh, I don't have telepathy. I'll be upset about that. Dumb? Who's dumb? When's the last time you saw a dolphin build a car or a building or send a rocket into space or even write a book? You know, it's kind of like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I just like the fact that it's like, dumb, I'll show you dumb. You know, it's kind of like going, what, you're a rocket scientist? Well, when's the last time I saw you win a, a prize at the fair? (laughs) <laughs> these are not oranges or apples these are entirely different things you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I agree i agree completely i'm so insulted i'm gonna make it about entirely different things <laughs> so i thought that was just a very typical insult that people will do where it's just like i'm dumb well other people can do smart stuff yeah. so i'm not dumb because people can do it yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 speaking of people who 
our questionable intelligence. If we go to page 18, I, I have a choice I have to make because I'm looking at my favorite captain, oh captain, my captain, <laughs> and uh, he's got two. He's got two on here, but I'm 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 gonna go with the top one here because I I gotta go with him. Uh, his first yelling at his crew saying, "What the blue places going out out there, you slobs?" I I always love a good slob. Yeah, but, I, I I looked at him. He had he had some good stuff too. What's your top one, sir? My top rubber and glue moment is on page six, and it is between Jack and Alex. This is after Jack has dove into the water and is like, oh, I'm going to be like Jack Cousteau. And then something brushes his leg in the water. He's like, uh, something touched me and it's dark and scary down there. He is literally clinging to Alex <laughs> and, uh, and saying that, I wish I'd never seen Jaws. Alex's response to that is, da da and it's just like it's so such a typical sibling thing to do where you're just like hey i am scared of this moment because let's just say shark tigers i'm kind of scared there might be shark tigers oh really because a shark tiger's right here i just love the fact that Yep. Alex is also quite vulnerable to shark attacks in the dark water, but but he's making fun of Jack so doing the, the Jaws theme song. Because you, you know what? You know what makes you not afraid of sharks? Making fun of your brother. <laughs> it's probably true. Or he noticed before that it's dolphins. He's like, yeah, it's a, I saw, uh, it's a dolphin storyline. I know what's going on. I know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, don't worry, Franklin. It's like I, I intuited that Franklin was going to guide us to dolphins. He's guiding us to dolphins. These are dolphins. <laughs> Jack, you're an idiot. Also, I can scare you. <laughs> well, only only a sibling can do that. Yeah. And as we like to do in this book, we like to rank the siblings and their closest closest friend as we rank all of the kids to find out who is the best and worst in the book in the stars and detention section. As always, we talk about the worst, and I am pretty sure you can guess who I am choosing as the worst, because I made my feelings quite known throughout this. Yeah, Kofi. Yeah, Kofi. No, it's yeah. Alex. It is <laughs> it's Alex. Alex. It is. What are yeah. you doing with your powers, Alex? Come on. What are you doing all the time, everything? Uh, there was more to it than just the powers, too. It's... Uh, which, of course, I'm drawing an absolute blank on, but it, there was multiple things that he did where it's just like, what? what is... Why? Yeah. The powers is a big one. Yeah, That's a huge a one. one. It's just he's he's like putting everybody in danger because he's not using his powers correctly. And I just I had a problem with that one. Yeah, he did do a smart thing where he, uh, you know, every, but you know, he did leave. A note for the parents yeah. covering for them. Oh, okay, that's really great and everything. He, but, he know, ransacked the, the, the ship to find the smoking the gun. Yeah, exactly. He found the manifest. But also he was just like so carte blanche about like, oh, yeah, we just created an ecological disaster on land on this beautiful island. Ah, who cares? It ain't a thing. Whatever. And all, oh, here was the big one flipping through. You know, it's telling the dolphins and his sisters, oh, you got to stay behind. This is a job for me and Jack. And then when he's going down, he's just like, I'm pretty sure that our suits will protect us from the pollution. It's like, wait well, a second. Yeah. You don't know. That's a big assumption. It's like, I put on I put on a wetsuit, so I'm probably bulletproof. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. It's like, no, you're not. And it might be along the lines where, yeah, you can absorb radiation and energy and pollutants and irritants and everything. And we'll just say this is a sealed suit. Jack really can't. 
Uh, he can't gravity radiation out of his bones. You can absorb it and shoot it <laughs> off his power balls if you decide to do that, Mister Power. But, but yeah, so yeah, he just he made bad bad choices. Yes. Unlike our best one of the book, and mine is Jack. Oh, okay. Jack was great. It is a great choice, really. Uh, Jack is an awesome choice. I picked Julie, but uh, why did you pick Jack? I picked Jack because he had his brother's back. Yeah, I was impressed by that. He, he stayed down below and he said, I am going to watch out for my brother. I'm going to make sure he is A-OK. Yep. And so he stayed down below and he even said, hey, hey, how about you shoot off over there? Yep. How about you do this? And he was, I, I just felt like he was trying he to He really did. So. I was impressed by it. Yep. He was my first choice for best kid. Uh, what's weird is that normally if Franklin's in an issue, we go Franklin. Sure. Yeah, it's it's a default. Franklin is the best kid, and this one he was a a, a little more standbackish. He did help save Alex later because he you know dream selfed up to Julie and said, "Hey, Alex is dying," and Julie's like, "Already on it." The the problem was is that he was the communication link. Yeah. You know between the dolphins and the pack, so he was a little he was a, a little more secondary in that regard. But yeah, no, Jack really was on my list, and for that main reason right there, where he's like. I'm going down with Alex. And he's like, you can go back up. He's like, mm-mm, somebody's got to be here for you. You you don't use your powers responsibly, <laughs> and someone has to be the grown-up big brother. <laughs> you said Julie was your best. Why yeah. was that? I think she came up with the idea. It's like, hey, we own, if we can, we have healing powers, we can dive around Mama Dolphin and try, try and heal her. She also seemed to almost be the only one who said, hey, you know, we just dumped a, a, a scow of toxic garbage on land. This... Yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that. That's not right. She's really the only one who questioned that. She saved Alex's life. She also caught more of garbage as it was coming down in a force net, you know, uh-huh. in her bubble net and put it back on the ship. She used her powers in a standard way for her, but in a creative way. Yes. Uh, where she was just like, I can resolve, hopefully, this issue by being the spirit of the sea. <laughs> and hopefully I can scare these sailors straight. And I love the fact that she she leaned into that. And it was like, this is really great. She didn't immediately go into, I can punch Powerball or force blast this person. It's like, I might be able to change them and and scare them into doing what we need them to do. And I thought that was really impressive. Yeah. No, no. she. I think she did a good job. I think she was pretty responsible. And especially with her, her justification that she had at the end was also good as well. Yeah. There's also the aspect uh, for me is that after Mama Dolphin died and she's comforting Franklin and Katie, but Franklin, she's talking to him and just going, you can cry. If you need to keep crying, just let it all out. Basically saying there's no shame in tears. Do what you need to do to get your emotional release. Mm. I'm here for you and not judging. And I thought that was a, a a very great thing because sometimes people need to hear that. And people need to hear that, yes, you can have moments of weakness and still be a strong person. And in fact, oftentimes you will be stronger for these moments of weaknesses. And I super appreciated her being involved with him that way and just being like, let it out. You're in a safe space. This is okay. This is 100% perfect reason for you to be sad and for you to have tears yeah i I was gonna like do an insult or make fun of you there but you know it was such a good thing you're saying that i just had to let it go no you can be a monster you're uh you you dumb think talk i understand that yeah (laughs) all right let's go ahead and rank this book then we are gonna rank the book because i can't segue out of that so (laughs) we are looking at our master list that we have from Mm -hmm. one 
all the way down to issue number 56, which is X-Factor Annual number 2. And we go up this list and we look at number 40 and we've got special effects. That's where Power Pack and Sunspot come around and, and, and try to deal with Sunspot's bruised ego. And all the way up on place number 20, we've got Lights, Camera, Action. This is when Boogeyman kidnaps Rebecca Littlehale. And all the way up at number one, which we already mentioned in this book already, Power Pack number 42, that's Revenge of the Boogeyman. That's Inferno starting. It's a beautiful issue. Read it if you haven't. This is part two. We have part one as number 17. So that's where Power Pack heads to Maine on a vacation. I was going to suggest we start there because it's it's part two of a, of a two-part story. We thought it ranked 17th. Do we think this is as good, worse, better than? I want to say this is worse. You think this is worse? I okay. do. I do think this is worse. I think that there are some better beats in the first one. I, I can't help but feel this one's just a little rushed for some reason. I, it, it has that. It does, in fact, have that feeling. Yeah. So I totally get that. I like it as a finishing up for this, but it's 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 going to hit lower down on the on the run here. I'm going down a little bit, and I, I just I happen to see this as uh, Fishtail, which was Power Pack number nine. This is where they visit the aquarium. Um, I kind of like that one a little bit better as well. Okay. Myself too. So I'm gonna. Go down a little bit more here. Spot number 30, we have Power Pack number 44. This is the end of the Inferno. This is when the family is broken and new mutants are there to help. Uh, yeah, we've got that mm-hmm. one. And then the one below it is Power Pack number 20, which is the other new mutants crossover where Danny fights death to save Maggie. I'm actually thinking it goes between those two. Mm, okay, I could see that. I was thinking it might be a little bit better than what price victory Mm-hmm. It's a good zone for it, that good feeling. Yeah. There is stuff in here that I really like. There, it did have that kind of rush feeling, and then there was kind of yeah. that ethically gray area for the end. I think this is the right zone. I, I guess the question is, is do you really think that it's better than what price victory? I'm more than willing to put it at the new 31 and put it in between the, okay. the new mutants crossover ones. All right. Well, we'll put it there. We'll put it as our new number 31. Uh, still, good yeah, showing good. for it. Good showing It's for good, it. yeah. Do you, do you know what I think? Do you know what I think? I think that rating things is completely in the eye of the holder, and I think right now I am beholding a beer that I need to yeah, rank. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be <laughs> something else. That, yeah, let's be judgmental. Let's judge stuff. We've judged this issue. We've judged some children. Let's judge a beer. And I see that your beer is running kind of low, and I know mine is uh, getting tapered. We've got Fat Orange Cat. Remove the beer from the bottom of the ocean, which. Alex did a very good job of removing the beer from the bottom of the ocean, along with a lot of other things, oh, too. Oh, yep, yep, yep. I don't know if there's any fat orange cats down there, but, I, you know, we, we didn't get that. The, the, the coloring was off. might have been that. I don't know. <laughs> Garfield's down there getting disintegrated, going, uh, <laughs> Mondays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I have nothing to go on from that one. <laughs> Let's talk about this beer here. Um. I, I'm still enjoying this yeah. beer. It's got, of course, like any IPA, as it warms up a little bit, you get more of that... Uh, bite that IPA bite that uh, hoppy bite but on the whole I'm still enjoying this one I think this is uh, not bad especially for an IPA not big fan it's a very but but I'm enjoying it it, no it's good it's a very it's holding on to that like citrus that kind of citrus blend flavor that kind of old citrus muted citrus you know citrus and and other fruit kind of combo thing going no it it is it is pleasant it goes down very nicely it does not make your face pucker up it doesn't make your your tongue go ah it's not too cloying in the throat where you drink some and you're like hold on i gotta oh i gotta get through this kind of thing it is it is a really good warm weather beer this is an awesome this is this is nice i'm gonna go ahead and say that this is uh 
I'm willing to give it a four. Hmm. I'm willing to give this a four. I'm toss up between four and three five, but yeah. yeah, I'll go four as well. Let's just keep that even. Okay. That's nice. Yeah, it, it's it's a very nice beer. It is very very pleasant. I have never heard of it before. I've never heard no. of the company. I've never heard of Twelve Percent Beer Project. I have zero zero knowledge about this uh, beer or their company that makes it, but I'm liking it. They do a good job. Well, uh, all the way out here from Dorchester Brewing Company, Boston, Massachusetts. There you go. Well done. Fun, fun, fun. All right. And speaking of fun, do you know what I think is fun? Hearing you and your daughter talk about a comic that we just covered. So, Rick, could you talk to your nine-year-old daughter, Carrie, about the issue at hand? Hello, Carrie. Hello, Daddy. How are you today? Good, and you? (laughs) I'm pretty good. I'm I'm trying to follow a tune. What's that? I'm trying to follow the tune. (laughs) I think you did a pretty good job with that. Thank you very much for being here with me once again to talk about Power Pack. Welcome. What did you think about this issue? I like how they involved dolphins again. Yes. It was kind of fun, wasn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. I have a favorite part where Julie's pretending to be a ghost. You like that part? Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like, I'm the spirit. Kind of a fun use of her power, isn't it? Yeah. She's a spirit at one time, but why is she a spirit? Why is she pretending to be a spirit? Well, because these sailors are dumping. Dumping garbage into the ocean. Is that good or bad? Really, really bad. They're taking the fight to the boaters, aren't they? Yeah. Any kind of creature is part of the ecosystem, so if that ecosystem gets cut off, then really bad stuff can happen. That's true. That's very good, Carrie. Power Pack can't do much except use their powers, right? Yeah. What are you going to try to do to try to help the environment? Because you don't have superpowers and you're not an adult, so what can you do? I can try cleaning up, like cleaning up messes, like um, putting on rubber gloves first, Mm -hmm. but um... But then cleaning up stuff that's on the ground outside. Yeah? So picking up garbage and making sure garbage gets thrown away? Yeah. And making sure things are clean? Mm-hmm. And putting things away where they should be put away, right? Yes. Hmm. Then why isn't your room clean? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I hesitated. <laughs> you are correct, though. That's one of the things that you can do as a kid is to make sure that you're putting garbage away in the right spot, trying to pick up and clean up things for people who are not so environmentally friendly, right? Yes. What did you think of the cover of this? Very action-packed. Pretty representative of what goes on in the book? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about about the book then? Not really. Okay. Pretty easy. Thank you very much for your time. I always enjoy talking to you. Welcome. Love you. Love you too. <laughs> Good insight, Carrie. Always enjoy hearing what you have to say. And Rick, good job talking to her. Shout up time! We like to recognize those listeners who take the time to write in and leave us a review. And this is for <laughs> episode number 62, Power Pack and Cloak and Dagger, Shelter from the Storm, featuring Colin Stapleton from the worst comic podcast ever. A.D. Silver. Alexander Williams. Al Sedano and Resurrection. And Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Brian G. Charles Gears. Charlie Rose, who says, Ah, this story. I don't remember much other than it was a little disturbing. I did enjoy the art style and coloring, mostly. Look forward to listening to your recap and impressions. I wonder if you did. I wonder if you did. (laughs) Coffee and Comics. Craig McNichol. Chris Lydon. Comics in the Golden Age. Dog Welder 2099. Donald Ferguson, who said, 
Heck of a graphic novel. Can't wait to listen. Hmm. Did you? Did you? <laughs> Gibson Gray. Green Lantern HG. Into the Weird. Jeremy Daw. Julie Powerfan. Mark O. Rogers. Max Traver. Nicholas Fromm and the Comic Reflections Podcast. Rustin LF. Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. Star Wars Splash Page. Comics in Review. Time Price. No, no. Tim Price, the Podcrasher. The worst comic podcast ever featuring our guest Colin Stapleton and Jerry McMullen. Xenozoic Xenophiles. Be sure to check out our other shows that we're on. We occasionally appear on the Junior Agent Submissions on the MI6 Rogue Agents episode of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast and my show, Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, on the Longbox Crusade Podcast Network. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick Present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live pen in Portland, Oregon. It's alive! If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, we got a YouTube channel, people, and you can find it at Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick present, all one word. We are a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Seriously, go and put it on there. We haven't gotten any reviews for quite a while. Tell us you like us. We really want to hear it. Please. Tell your friends about us. Share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. Until next time. Costumes off. off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Master Disorder. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution for a porno license. The splash page of this shit. Crash, grind, thud. It's... I'm like, is that a cat? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's Franklin! <laughs> he was... <laughs> a cat throwing up... Crash, grind, thud. Put a note in your pocket. You can we'll do these things. Put a note in your pocket. All right, that's going to be our new hit song. Ah. <laughs> put a little note in your pocket. Get a diving helmet from a friend. Wap. Crash, grind, thud. The kids attack the darkness. Not an incorrect assessment. <laughs> Mountain Dew. <laughs> you have any Mountain Dew? It's in the fridge! <laughs> it's been a while since I listened to that. Crash, grind, thud. Worrying about the dying spark of a frame. Crash, grind, thud. Franklin took that interlude break to recognize these swimming objects as not being bad things, but I'm going to do that entire thing over again because that sucked. Alright. Franklin took that interlude break to recognize these swine o- Swine? Mm-hmm. Crash, grind, thud. The artistic impression- impression- The artistic imp- Impersonation. Oh. Impression.